Welcome, Seth. Even by name, that's special. Well, I know that we are Midwesterners uh, here, but man, it feels good to clap and move, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I was actually going to ask for a man. Somebody already gave it to me. So, man, we're already on a roll. So, hey, uh, my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Salem, and uh, and I haven't said this in a couple weeks. You know, maybe even longer. Uh, one of the things that it, it, for us as we moved here, I think we're we're getting close to month six. I'm not really sure. Uh, where we're at, um, and uh, you know, so this is COVID, right? One day feels like a year, um, and so here we are. And I feel like every time that we've had to move or, or restart ministry, right? You, you start from scratch, and so much of what you're doing is building relationships. And COVID has just made that so hard, right? Just to get time uh, with people. And so uh, I just want you to know that even though it, this is a strange season. Um, my wife and I, Nikki and I, we just long to get to know you, and we're just excited and waiting uh, and waiting and waiting, and we're going to see that a little bit in our passage this morning uh, as we look into even into the Old Testament a bit uh, about the way that we have to wait sometimes for God to fulfill that which he is doing. So, but if I haven't gotten the chance to meet you uh, after the service, I would love the opportunity uh, to, to meet you and uh, maybe just hear briefly a little bit about your story and, and, uh, and to just wait together as we wait for the Lord or for COVID dad, whichever comes first, right? So, hey, um, we want to start this morning. We're going to be in uh, a passage on the mount that, where Jesus is going to come back to prayer. And so I want to start this morning again uh, just by creating uh, some space for each of us in the quietness of our hearts, right? Like prayer is not uh, meant to be a transition, even though sometimes it feels that way in church, right? Is that it's kind of like this space or gap filler to get us into the next thing. And that's not how we intend it. And so I want to start this morning by just giving each of us, myself included, a little bit of space to connect with God before we, before we jump in. So I'll wrap us up in a little bit, but just take a few moments uh, and pray. Father, this morning has become uh, before you. And as we begin to, um, to enter in, I mean, this whole morning has been a time of worship, right? Like we know that, that worship is bigger than a song. We know that worship it includes uh, the, the studying and listening of Scripture. It includes the fellowship even, that, that really worship is, is an attitude of life that in all things that we do for the glory of you, and that's worship. But Lord, this morning as we engage in this specific time, Lord, whatever it is that you need us to hear, may the Spirit just fill this room. And would he just impress upon our hearts uh, some, some form of encouragement or some form of, of whatever that is that we need to hear. And I just ask, Lord, myself included, we'd have open uh, an openness uh, to hear what it is that you want us to hear. So Lord, we love you, and you're going to be praying. Amen. Hey, so um, one of the things I love about uh, this service is that I get to learn from the mistakes of the first service. <laughs> I had to cut uh, about a page and a half or so 
uh, in the middle of it this morning. And so, um, Lord willing, if we can make it work, I think that I have some extra stuff um, that will share a little bit broader, a little bit deeper manner, the, the story that, that God is unfolding, but also as it connects to Matthew, um, as well as it points us towards, uh, towards Christmas. And so, Lord willing, if we can make it work, tomorrow I will film some stuff uh, from here that we can post online as well for you guys uh, to watch. No promises, because I don't know who's around and who can do that, um, but I would like to be able to do that. So, um, hopefully that will be available uh, for you. So, hey, as we head into Christmas, well, really into Thanksgiving, right? We're, we're all looking forward to Christmas, but Thanksgiving is that thing that happens right in front of Christmas, and it's kind of like that, it's that one thing that we know Christmas is coming. And so, um, for me, as I was wrestling through this week, thinking about um, Thanksgiving and thinking about stories and just what, what were some of the things that maybe happened in my life, this, this one story came to my mind about something that I'm thankful for. And, uh, and for me, so I think this was back when I was in high school, I was, this was probably when I was at uh, what I would maybe say the, the height of my athletic career, okay, so uh, in physical fitness and all of that stuff, and um, I loved baseball. Hopefully you guys know that by now, I shouldn't have to say that even more, I just love baseball, uh, and baseball was my thing, okay, and so um, in my arrogance, one Thanksgiving, I, I made a very... <laughs> Very poor decision, um, and uh, and I we were at the farm at my grandparents' house, which is where we do all we did all of our like Thanksgiving and Christmas stuff, and uh, and so uh, my cousin was there, and my cousin at the time was was really into potato guns. Anybody know what a potato gun is? Okay, we're in the Midwest. I feel like most people should, right? If you don't, a potato gun is basically this, this massive, I don't know, maybe six foot, eight foot, however long you need it to be, piece of PVC piping, okay? Uh, but then you drill all these holes in it and you add special compartments. Uh, and, and in the end, basically what you do is like a cannon, you, you like wedge a potato down into this PVC pipe uh, and you spray aerosol in the back and then un well, unsmartly, maybe you like that. <laughs> and, and then what happens is that it builds pressure and it shoots out a potato. Um, so in my arrogance, I thought, man, like, we needed to fill some time. I thought, why not play baseball? And so I got my cousin and his potato gun. And I said, you stand over there. I grabbed my baseball bat out of the trunk of my car. And I said, you stand there. Now, my cousin is not an athletic person, but he was good with guns, and so I just naturally assumed that this would be good, but, but here's what I learned is that potato guns are not accurate. Um, and so, like, you, you take this giant potato gun, and you kind of, like, hold it on your side, trying to hold it steady while trying to light it at the same time, which is just, it doesn't work, right? It's just, this is such a bad idea. Like, I see heads just shaking. I know, I know, I know. I was young, okay? And so, like, he's standing over there, and I get into my baseball stance, and, and you're waiting for it, like a pitch. Like, that's, I mean, like, you're waiting for a pitcher to deliver a ball, and so here I am waiting, and you, there's really no anticipation because you don't know when it's going to go off. And all of a sudden, like, I mean, I didn't even change my stance, and all of a sudden it went, and I, and I just, without even moving. Normally, like, when you're playing baseball, like, you can see it coming, and you swing, right? I didn't even see it. It just went, I heard, I heard this. It goes, straight past my head, and I went, I set down my bat, and I walked inside. <laughs> no words. <laughs> so what am I thankful for? <laughs> I'm thankful that stupidity didn't end <laughs> seriously wrong. Uh, you know, but as I think even as over these years, and, and COVID I think has forced us all to see this, 
is that when we begin to think about what, as we move into the season of holiday season, as we begin to think about the things that we are thankful for, uh, I, at least in my own life, and I don't know about you, but in my own life, I feel like the list of things that I, that I maybe used to really value and prioritize has begun to dwindle. And it's, and it's, it's become this, this basic form, this, these components, I guess, of just life that I go, what I'm thankful for most is people. <laughs> Right? Like, I just want to be around people. Um, I, I value now sitting at the table and eating with people in a way that I never did. Because now, like, this, all this Thanksgiving stuff is like, hey, don't gather with so many people, so many people, right? And, and, and like, some X amount of households and don't travel and all, all these things. And I go, man, at the end of the day, I, I just, I'm learning to see what I value. And it's forced me even, and I hope it's forced all of us to, to remind ourselves that at the core behind all of that is what we value most, which is Jesus, right? We value him and who he is and what he accomplished. And, and I know that we know that in our mind. I know that I know that in my mind. And yet it takes sometimes the removing of things around that to help me see with greater value that which is or has the most value in our lives. We've been in this series uh, on the mount, right? And so we've called it that just as a reminder because we didn't want to say sermon on the mount because sometimes I think we place so much emphasis into hearing sermons, but that becomes the spark for my transformative growth. The reality is, is that you guys will forget 95% of whatever I say. And I'm okay with that. I don't take that personally. The reality, like, when we look at this, Jesus spent months, probably most likely months, teaching his disciples on this mountainside. And so it's this repetitive over and over, this teaching, this learning to follow, to walk, and to listen. And at the core of that is this relationship that we get to experience between us and our Creator. And if you remember this On the Mount series, right, it's all tied back to in Matthew 4, where Matthew tells us that, that Jesus' message is about the good news of the kingdom. And there's two things that we've primarily been tracing. The first is really about the gospel, really. It's, it's, it's this idea that in order to participate in this good news kingdom, whatever it is that, that God is establishing, or that Jesus really is establishing, the, the first and foremost thing is that I get to participate in that kingdom by one reason and one reason alone, and that is because of who Jesus is and what he accomplished for me right? Can we agree with that? Like, that's just, that's, that's true, right? In order to participate in God's kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, we must first be a part of that kingdom, which is not something I can control, okay? That's the first thing. But the second thing that we've kind of been tracing, and we've said in different language, but is this. In order to experience the blessings or the fruitfulness of this, of this new kingdom is directly tied with how I learn to follow Jesus, right? There's this obedience piece, and, and we've used this symbol of the bike, because back in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus says, like, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And he's, he's, if you remember, he's teaching them what we call is his halakha, which is his interpretation 
of the law, which is all about walking. How do, how do I teach you how to walk and to follow after me? And so we've used the backwards bike as this difficult thing that, that I need to learn. There's ex, this expectation and anticipation, I guess, on Jesus' end to say, Seth, if you want to participate, like you're already a participator, but in order to like experience the blessings of the kingdom in the way that it's designed, you learn how to ride the bike. You relearn how to ride these things, okay? So, and at the core of the, all of that, right, is not this do or don't do. At the core of it is just a relationship between us and our creator. Like, and we can, we can acknowledge that together. Are you tracking with me? Okay? So, but here we are in, in chapter 7 as we begin to wind down uh, this On the Mount series, and we're going to be moving into Christmas in just a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 7 through 11. And so if you have your Bible, would you go ahead and grab it and, and open it up? And this is one of the things that we encourage, that I encourage here at Salem, is to, is to bring this for yourself. It will be up on the screen when we get there, um, but uh, I encourage you to see it for yourself uh, in front of you, as if we're all on this personal discovery journey uh, together to find out who Jesus is and, and what life in this kingdom really uh, looks like. So we're coming back to prayer in this moment. Now, why in the world are we coming back to prayer, or, or really, why is Jesus coming back to prayer uh, in, in light of the fact that just one chapter later or earlier, he's already talked about prayer, right? Now, when Jesus talked about prayer in chapter 6, he gives us this, this rubric that really ultimately starts with God and, and ends with asking for forgiveness, right? And there's a bunch of things in between. But as you, if you look at that structure, it's as if Jesus is inviting us in our prayer to acknowledge first and foremost who God is, and then at the core of that, my relationship with him is rooted in and this, this need this deep need for forgiveness. And so every prayer that I pray becomes a, a moment for me to, to reteach myself the gospel. Because it starts with God and it ends with my need for forgiveness. And so as we engage in that type of a prayer, we know then that, that we're seeing ourselves in light of who he is and, and who we are. And there's this gospel motivator for us to participate in the kingdom. But, but what Jesus is going to do in today's text is that he's going to help us see that there's more to learn about prayer. Like in, in the way that, that one text and one text alone in, in any Bible passage is probably not going to be comprehensive of what we need to learn on this subject. And so, right, like the Bible like has so many different things that we need to learn about prayer. But as it is in this context, in this context alone, Jesus has more to teach us about prayer. Okay, so here's what he says in Acts, or excuse me, Max, uh, excuse me, yeah, Acts, Max, you know, you know school, yeah, Matthew, it's a, it's a tough word to read, by the way, um, Matthew chapter 7, verses uh, 7 through 11, here's what he says, he says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? 
Okay, before we jump into and unpack this, here's what I want us to be really clear about, okay? These are very simple words of Jesus, right? They're not complicated, actually, at all. They're very understandable. They're very relatable. There's not a ton of depth to them, but we have to remember, I think, in these moments that, that, that what Jesus has been doing really since the beginning of chapter 5 and, and really throughout his entire gospel is not that we would just accumulate knowledge, right? What he's, what he's teaching here for is heart transformation, like, like this heart change. And we've said many times, right, that, uh, or at least several times, that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, Right? That's what Jesus is ultimately getting at as he's walking through this On the Mount series. And so these words are incredibly simple for us to understand. And we'll unpack them, but, but here's what I want us to know, is that sometimes we look at these simple words and, and we go, okay, like, yeah, I've heard that, I know that, that's basic, and we move on. But what I want to challenge us this morning is that no matter how simple these words words are, the ramifications and the implications of what Jesus is talking about in this text, if we choose to pray in this way, are huge. I mean, they are tantamount and, and huge for the sake of ourselves and for the sake of our relationship with others and for the sake of, of our relationship ultimately with the world. And so it becomes this kingdom prayer, okay? So here, let's unpack this, and we go in chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. We'll start with 7. Here's what it says. It just doesn't matter. We just read it, but, uh, and it will be given, uh, excuse me, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. Okay, so very simple words. Ask, seek, uh, and knock. Okay, and I want you to see the progression in these words. Okay, ask, seek, and knock. If I am at home, this is a, like maybe not daily occurrence for me. I feel like I've probably gotten better at this, but I feel like I lose my keys quite a bit. Okay, so if I am at home and if I say, hey, Nikki, where are my keys? Have you seen my keys? Do I know what I'm asking for? Absolutely. Right? In order for me to go somewhere, right, to get in my car and to turn the engine to get to work, I need these things called my keys. And so I'm asking for them. But I could ask Nikki, have you seen my keys, and then stand at the door or sit in a chair and make her do all of the work. And yet Jesus sees there's a progression here, right? Like not just ask, right? Even if you know what you're looking for, right? Don't just ask for it. Seek it out. And so, like, it's as if, like, I'm asking for keys and I'm walking through the house looking at the same time. Does this make sense? Like, you're tracking, right? It's, it's very simple, right? The progression here, right? But then, like, it's, you, like, you work with kids. Like, when I was little, like, mom would be like, hey, did you look for your keys? I'd be like, yeah, I did. How many, how many times did you look? Once, right? The, the idea of knocking is the idea of persistence. And so, you, you keep doing it. You keep looking, right? You keep going back to it. There's the progression. Ask, seek, and knock, right? Ask for it, look for it, and then continue doing it, right? That's the progression. It's very, very simple. And all three of these are, are important aspects of our prayer, right? It's this ongoing and it is continuous. But notice the optimism of verse 8. Here's what Jesus says. He says, for everyone who asks 
receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened, right? So here's what I love about this, right? This is, this is so great. This is so simple. Just like, hey, if you just ask, guess what? It will be given. That's face value, right? If, if you just ask, it will be given. If you seek for it, you will find it. And if you knock for it, right, it will be opened to you. Now, in order for us to understand, I think, um, because I think that for us, and maybe for me even too, like, we read these words and we go, ah, is that really, is that really true? Like, I grow cynical of prayer. I, I grow pessimistic of prayer, and we'll get to that. But, but like, I go, can, I, can I take this at face value? Like, is this, is this legit? Is this real? What Jesus is saying? Well, in order to, I think, understand what's happening in this text, we need to understand the, the imagery of God as Father, right? As, as depicted, Him as depicted as Father, okay? So, uh, all of us in, in life, right, have either been a kid um, or have probably parented a kid, right? How many of you have uh, little tiny humans in your home right now? Okay, show of hands, right? A decent amount, right? By the way, uh, I'll say this, and I think I've said this before, is that um, when you pray, God, we'll, we'll talk about this later, but God doesn't always say yes to things. For, for many, many years, when Nikki and I got married, we prayed that God would give us kids. And, and that still, at least to this day, has not been a part of his plan, which is like, I, again, I just, it was it was uh, upsetting, to say the least, right, and disappointing. Um, and so God doesn't always say no, or doesn't always say yes. But, but when God brought Eden into our life, which was the biggest joy, really, of our lives and is so incredible, um, I didn't realize how much life was going to change. Okay, like I, like I know conceptually that, that, that they are tiny humans, and, and, and they, they can't make the same decisions that I can, okay? Like, I knew that that was true, but what I, what I failed to understand was the experiential side that as soon as the morning begins, everything in life revolves around Eden. Do you, do you understand this? Right, you're tracking, right? Because as soon as they wake up, they need something, right? It's play box, play chase, uh, wash my hands, right? I need food or whatever it is. Like, it just goes around. So if Nikki and I want any time to ourselves, we either have to get up really early or, or like, stay up really late. Because every other moment is Eden saying, Dada, I need you. Dada, I want something. When I, when I got her up the other day, and I've mentioned this before, but she has this terrible shriek when she wakes up. It's like, like the house is quiet, and you're like, man, this is shalom. This is the shalom of God. And then all of a sudden, it's like, and sin entered into the world, right? It's just this, like this explosion of things that happen. And I'm like, oh, goodness, like my world is disrupted. And so what do I do? Like, I'm like, oh, gosh, like she must be, like she must be having a nightmare or whatever, blah, blah. And then I enter, as soon as I open the door, and like, like everything changes. She, she, she just looks at me and goes, hey, Dada. I'm like, why were you screaming? Like, what was the problem? What, was the, what, what, what happened? And she just looked at me, and she, she looked at me, and she just goes, wash hands. And I was like, excuse me? What? Like, why? Like, what do you need? Did you, like, pick your nose, and you got boogers on? I'm like, like tell me, you know? And, but it, inevitably, like, the, the, like, my world begins to revolve around Eden. And, and so she'll say, like, she'll say, like, within a minute, usually, it's, it, she'll ask this one question. And it's, or this, it's not a question. She just says, dada, hungry, hungry. 
She leaves out the R, right? Dada hungi. And so I usually say, okay, so Eden, like that sounds great. Because everything, can I just tell you, every fiber of my being as a dad in this moment wants to say, whatever you want, I will give it to you. Right? You could ask for the world and I would email everybody I know and say, hey, can you, wait, that's a dumb question. But I know you can't give it, but Eden wants it. Go, give it to me. Right? Like I, everything inside of me wants to say yes to Eden. And so she says, like, I'm hungry. Like, okay, great, Eden, what do you want to eat this morning? And she oftentimes will say to me, for, what, for whatever reason, she doesn't like it when Nikki makes it, but, but when I make oatmeal, probably because I use too much brown sugar, um, <laughs> she says, I want oatmeal and raisins. And so I'll okay, great, that sounds awesome. I would love to give you some oatmeal and raisins. Does that sound good to you? And then she'll say this. She'll say, okay, no. And, excuse me? Was that a yes or was that a no? And so then I like, there's this battle to try and figure out like what's going on inside of her heart. Like what does she want? Do I know that she's hungry? Absolutely. But do, do I know what she wants? No. Why? Because she doesn't know. Right? She, she alternates. Like, no, I want ba. I want banana. I, I want um, tomatoes. Uh, I want uh, blueberries. Like, and she goes through all of these things, and it's this, this battle to try and figure out what she wants. But, but, but that's besides the point, right? As a parent, for me, in this moment, every single thing in me wants to say yes. And I want you to know that that's what God is communicating here. That's what Jesus is communicating. Right? At, at face value, there's this intrinsic quality that is connected to who he is that says, Seth, I love you so much, I want to give you good things. Like, I want to give you those things, and I want to give them to you over and over and over. It is, let me just tell you, and even, even if you're cynical, just rest in this, it's that simple. God wants to give you good gifts. In fact, he loves giving good gifts, which, by the way, the, if I were to step out of this story for a moment and, and remind myself that the Eden and I's relationship probably is similar to my relationship with the Father. Because when I wake up, I can be, I don't, I don't do this, mm, wash hands, <laughs> but my relationship to the Father is demanding I am grumpy, and when God's like, hey, Seth, tell me, tell me, what do you think? What do you want? And I'm like, I want oatmeal with raisins. Nope, nope, just scratch that. I want a banana. Nope, nope, because I don't know. I don't know what I want. I don't know what I need, and even when I think I do, I'm oftentimes wrong. Do you get that? Like, are you tracking with me that that is the way that this works? And so if I come to this text and I go, is it really this simple that in verses 7 and 8, it seems to communicate that, that if I can snap my fingers, that God will then automatically give me that which I want, okay? But if that's true, we who are cynical... And those who maybe have given up on prayer in the way that it's talking about here would automatically go to one question. Do you know what it is? If that's true, then why doesn't God seem to answer all my prayers? Like, is, is that just me? Has anybody else ever said this? No show of hands. Awesome. I'm just going to turn around here and preach to you myself, Right? Like, this is, I think that that's true for, for all of 
us. And so I think that what happens inside of us is that we do this, what I might call a spiritual math equation, okay? Um, if you're like a numbers person, you go, man, I'm, I'm in. Uh, it's an equation. I can get it. Just chill out. There's no numbers, okay? I'm not a numbers guy. So math, like spiritual math equation is this, is that when we look at God, we see God as all powerful, right? Like there is, like God has all of the power, all of the ability to create and do anything that he should choose to do, right? We know that that's one of his non-moral characteristics that is intrinsic to who he is as an eternal being. He is all-powerful. When I combine to that equation that he is all-knowing, that he has all-knowledge, right, that means that he must know everything that's inside of me, whether I ask for it or not. And so when I combine those two together, I go, wow, this, there's, there's some potential, like, for, yeah, for getting what I want, okay? But now, add to that a third piece of the equation, and this is his moral side, right, his ethical side, that Scripture says that God is all loving. So if God is all powerful and if he is all knowing, he knows everything that I need or want, right, or need, and if he's all loving, the equal sign is this, I get what I want. And so it's really like I take these verses and, and, I, and I rip them out of their context and I, and I pull them and then I piece them together and I can create what I might call, what we might call a blank check theology. Are you tracking with me here, right? You ever see the old Disney movie, Blank Check? Okay, very different, okay? But here, Blank check, like, like if God is all-powerful, if he is all-knowing, and if he is all-loving, then what I can do is I can write out this check for whatever it is that I want, and all of a sudden, God ceases to be the creator and author of the universe and becomes this cosmic butler, you know, like who comes to us like in these, like, like, like Alfred from Batman. Here you go, sir. Here you go, sir. Here you go, sir, right? And he just gives us what we want. And yet we know that that's not the case, right? We know that that's not the way that, that this works. And so we're going to come back to that, that question of why doesn't God answer my prayers? That's how we're going to end this morning. But I want to finish in this text of where we're at this morning. And what I want you to, to know and what we've said is that God gives good gifts right? That is our big idea this morning. And I want you to, to leave. If you leave with anything, just remember that God desires to give good gifts. In fact, it's not just desire or want, it's this deep longing that he loves. Right? It's part of who he is. He loves to give good gifts to his children, to his disciples, okay? So verse 9, here's what it says. It says, or which one of you Uh, If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Okay, so remember that Jesus is talking, because what he's doing here is he's pulling in his audience, right? He's he's roping them together uh, and creating this rhetorical question scenario. Now, remember that he's talking on the side of a mountain to a bunch of middle-class people, right? These are farmers. These are fishermen. These are textile people, right? And so food is, is very simple. It's a part of their normal experience. And so basically, Jesus envisions like the story that I was told with Eden. He's like, okay, so like if you're on this mountain, and if your daughter or your son comes to you and says, I'm hungry, what do you do? Do you give him a stone? 
right? And he's just pulling people in because the automatic answer we know is, no, who would do that? And it's like you picture the people on this mountain and they, they look around like, I wouldn't do that. Like, would you do that? Would, would you do that? Todd might because he fell out of the boat the other day. He's not thinking clearly, but, but I don't think anybody would do that. Right? That's, that's the point. And so Jesus ultimately banks on our understanding of humanity in this, that that's not what we would do. That's the point of his question. And so what he's doing in this moment is he's using interchange, just so we understand uh, what's happening in this text, is that, is that he's using interchangeable objects. So if you go back just two chapters to Matthew chapter 4, you find the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And so when Jesus has been hungry, right, he's been on his own and foodless basically for 40 days, which will make anybody hangry, right, just ask the Israelites from Exodus, okay, so it will make you hungry, and so they come out, and the, the accuser says to Jesus, well, if you want bread, there's a stone, and so if you were to take the stone and convert that, use your power, right, use your all power, and convert this to bread, and problem solved, right? Now, if a father, or if a son comes to a father and says, hey, dad, I'm hungry, like, like, he could give them a stone because it looks like bread, but it's not bread. Like, so, like, the son's response is, cool, Dad, I asked for bread. This is a rock. Even though it looks like bread, it is a rock. What am I supposed to do with this rock? You, you're tracking, right? And so then the next one is he says, like, if a, if a son asks for a fish, like, you give, like, what father would give him a, a snake or a serpent. This, like, when I when was young and I read this, I was like, what, like, worst dad ever award. Like, that's, like, like, it's horrifying, you know? Like, you ask for a fish, like, here's, here's a fish, son, and you're like, cool, thanks, dad. Ah! Like, like it's terrifying. It goes from PG to PG-13, like, like, horror film like really quick and you're like this is not the Jesus that I'm thinking this is not this is not the father that I would expect but that's not really what's happening in this context so so really this serpent is is probably most likely as best as we can tell is probably the symbol of of a type of fish or an eel like creature in the sea of Galilee and so uh, even though it may look like uh, it is is kind of like a fish but it looks more like a serpent than a fish and so the idea is is that if a son asks for a fish and the dad says well here you go here is a, a living creature from the water okay but if you go back to Leviticus because it doesn't have scales it can't be eaten Okay, so that's, that's, the, that's the, the connection here. So there's a stone and then there's this eel, neither of which can be eaten. And so Jesus uses these imageries to mock the idea of hunger. Like what dad, if a son said, I'm hungry, said, here you go, I love you. By the way, you can't eat that. Right, that's the way that Jesus is trying to draw us into this story, okay? Which, which, by the way, I know that for me, right, I know that I am made in the image of God. All of us, every single person in, in this room is made in the image of God, uh, which means that we have tremendous value. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, we talked about how God will, will pick us up and carry us past, like, the rest of creation, because that's the value that we have. We're so much more valuable as the pinnacle of God's creation. But just because I am made in God's image and have tons of value does not mean that I am good. 
Are you you hearing me? Like, at the end of every day, I am just, (laughs) I'm just so messy. Like, I have so much junk in my life. I have so much baggage. I have so many questions and doubts, and, and I have insecurities and all of these things that plague me at the end of every day. And Jesus is like, man, Seth, I know. I know you. I know what's going on inside of you. And yet, he banks on the idea that me, in that type of a state, knows how to give good gifts. That's who you are. You are totally broken. In fact, he says that in this next verse, in verse 11, where Jesus poses this question, right? He says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So, like, this is one of those things. I look at evil, and I go, man, Jesus, I I know that I'm not good, I know, that I'm, I'm, I know that I'm not great, I'm probably not good, but am I, am, am I really, am I evil? Like, is that who I am? That word in, in the Greek, uh, in, in a physical sense, means like diseased or uh, blind or this, this, yeah, this, this physiological malady that I have going on, right? But when it's compared to my heart or my soul, it, it is talking about my utter brokenness. Like, I am diseased, but not in body, but in soul. Like, I am broken. I am wicked. I am all of these things. And so, when Jesus says this, he invites us, like, as he has really throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount series, is this been this invitation to go, hey, Seth, uh, here, have you checked yet how your heart's doing? Because everything that I say is meant to hit you right in the heart. Have you checked that? Over and over and over, right? He's reminding me and calling me that it, to say to Seth, if you want to participate in this kingdom, the first thing you need to do, uh, understand who I am. Second thing you need to do is understand who you are. And this is who you are. You are broken. You are wicked. And you struggle just as much as every single other person, right? We have this internal problem that cannot be fixed. Like, we are born sinful, right? Like, see, some people think that we are born good. You know what the problem with that is? The Bible. The Bible doesn't teach us that we're born good. It tells us that we're born in this sinful state, separated from our Creator, and that my disposition, apart from any external work, my disposition is to always, at the end of every day, at the end of every moment, is to choose me. And I will help other people, and I'm willing to do that, but I'm especially willing to do it when I know that it benefits me right? Like, we are selfish beings, and so Jesus invites us to, to acknowledge who we are, that internally we are ruined, and, and apart from Jesus being who he is and what he did on the cross, and then him entering into the story of Seth and, and revitalizing and, and causing this reborn nature, apart from that, I am totally, 100% ruined, and Jesus says, Seth, if you, as you look at Eden, you, you love Eden with all of your heart, and as you look at her, remember how broken and utterly gross you are on the inside if you know how to give good gifts. How much more do I? Do you see this? 
You see, God isn't out of touch because he's up in heaven. He, he has this perfect understanding of who we are and what we need. And so the simplicity, as we, as we come to prayer, okay, as we, as we think about prayer, here's what I want you to, to hear and see. That is incredibly simple, right? This is the way that it is designed, right? This at face value is true, that, that God in all of his kindness and all of his mercy is a God who loves giving good gifts, and that is who he is, and that is exactly what he wants to do, okay? But what makes, that's not complicated, okay? That's not complicated at all. It's, it's very simple, but what makes this complicated, or what makes prayer complicated, and I want you to hear this, is it's not, it's not God's heart that makes this complicated. It's my heart. It's my heart that makes prayer complicated. And I, and I want us to understand that. Because we come to this question, right? We go all the way back to the beginning and just say, okay, like, I, I've grown a little cynical of prayer. Why does God not seem to answer my prayers. And this is where we, we come, right? And so Jesus is like, I want to give you these things. I want, if you ask, if you seek, if you knock, I will give you good things. If that's true, why do you not seem to answer my prayers? Now, I want to give you um, three different reasons. I think that there's probably a, a lot of reasons, but I want to give you three, okay? Uh, the first two are found later uh, in the New Testament in the book of James, okay? So James um, in fact, if you actually want to study this more on your own, it's been said that James, in many ways, is a commentary of the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you want to go back and read James, uh, you can compare it to some of the things that we have been studying, and you would see some of this overlap, okay? So here's the first one. In, in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, here's what he says. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war uh, within you? Okay, remember, we're talking about it's, it's our heart that makes this messy, right? Our passions are at war within ourselves, within our very selves. Okay, verse 2. He says, you desire and do not have, and so you murder, right? You covet uh, and cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel, right? And here's where, this is where it gets right into our context. He says, you do not have because... You do not ask. Maybe that's like, you're like, okay, that really, that's the first reason? Yes. That's the, that's the first reason that maybe we don't see our prayers answered because we're not asking. You're like, that's so simple. Well, yeah. But the reality is, is that, that sometimes if we believe that, that God is all-knowing, we lean into that and we just go, I know that God knows what I need, and so I don't even need to ask. And yet Jesus says it's important to ask. That's part of the rhythm. Ask, seek, right, and knock. And so maybe the first reason that we don't have answered prayers is because we're not asking. The second reason is in verse 3. He says this. This is where it gets a little bit more complicated. He says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see, so what James is saying here, right, is that, that we're, we're not having answered prayers because on the inside, in this mess of my heart, I'm asking for things that, that really are about me and for my kingdom. 
Now, remember, there's so many other places in Scripture that we can talk about prayer that talk about things a little bit more compassionately, but here Jesus is going, hey, sometimes just know that this is what's going on in Seth. This is what's going on in your heart, is that you are asking for things because it will make life better and easier and more fun or whatever it is. That's sometimes what we do, okay? Now, the third reason gets a little bit bigger, and we have to go left in our Bible back into the story of Habakkuk, okay? Now, I'm only going to just walk through a couple verses of this, but Habakkuk is a prophet, a minor prophet at the very end of the Old Testament, uh, and basically um, life uh, is not going the way that Habakkuk thinks that it should go, okay? Uh, there's uh, foreign rulers, basically, and, and uh, everything is just cruddy. So here's his complaint before the Lord uh, in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth, right? The way that it's supposed to work is not working. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted, right? So Habakkuk has this huge complaint, and really at the end of this, the assumptions of Habakkuk are probably this. God, because you are all-powerful, and you are all-knowing, and because you are all-loving, you should enter into this scenario and do really what I think that you should do. And yet God chooses in his infinite wisdom to not do that. Why? Here is, if you've never read this book, this is so great. This is so good. Look at verse 5. This is God's answer to Habakkuk, okay? It's so good. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Right? God's response to Habakkuk in his complaint is this. Hey, man, uh, I want you to know I love you, I hear you, but, and, and I want you to know that I'm working. And it's not just tomorrow. It's actually in your days. Like, like right now, there are things going on that you don't know about. And by the way, it's a part of this larger plan. And even if I were to draw it all out for you, you'd go, Huh? That's what I'm doing, and how incredible that is. And so, really, then God's, like, what we learn is this third thing is that sometimes, whether it's good or bad, sometimes we ask for things that God says no to in the moment because it doesn't fit into the largeness of his plan. And the way that he is working things out does not have to follow the guidelines that I have laid out for God himself. So we either are not asking, we ask with wrong motives, or we don't understand the complexity of the plan that God has or is working. Okay, so here's the deal. I want to wrap up with this. Can you imagine with me for a second? What if... I said yes to everything that Eden asked. If, if, if I said yes to everything that Eden asked, uh, I would spend my day um, eating Cheetos, 
uh, eating fruit snacks, uh, M&Ms, which are her new favorite, um, watching Coco Melon, which, by the way, is the worst, um, and Daniel Tiger, which is actually pretty good. I enjoy that. I could watch that, right? But, but all in all, that would be my day every day because that's all that Eden would do every day. So if I said yes to Eden in all things, what, what, it's not going to be good for her because I cannot expect this tiny little human to understand the cause and effect relationship between all of her decisions and how it impacts her, how it impacts her growth, how it impacts her friends, how it impacts ultimately the world, which is what Jesus is ultimately trying to help us understand is that prayers in the way that he's calling us to pray are kingdom holistically in their mindset. This is about who Jesus is and what he wants to accomplish. So, so here's the deal. Like, I can't always say yes to Eden, even though at the core of my very being, anytime she asks, if she said, Seth, Daddy, would you give me, like, well, hot cocoa? Would you give me a peanut butter? Would you give me a Snickers? Would you give me any of those things? And everything inside of me wants to say, yes, I will give that to you. And yeah, I sometimes can't. There are no's because I understand things more than she does. And the same thing is true with God our Father. And I know that we know all of that. But here's what I want you to see, is that even though these are simple, simple, simple words, they have huge ramifications. And here's why. And this is what I want to leave you with this morning. There's a moment in Jesus' life where he is kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane at the end of his life. And if you know, um, I've shared this before, but he's probably sitting right next to a, um, an olive press. And as he's thinking about these coming hours where he will be betrayed and arrested and then crucified, he's thinking about this olive press that would press every ounce of his life out. And it's in that moment that Jesus says to his father, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me. If there's any other way, do it, do it, just do it. Like if there's even like plan like A minus, do that one. And God says, I'm sorry. This is the only way for this to work. And so I want you to know that when God says no, Jesus understands. <laughs> but here's why these are simple words, but they have huge ramifications. Because when I begin to ask and seek and knock for the sake of the kingdom, what I'm doing is I'm saying, like, just like Jesus in the garden, if there's any other way but this hard way, let's do that. But if it comes to that, if it comes to this, I'm all in. And I will do whatever you ask 
me to do. That's what Jesus is ultimately pointing his disciples to in the end is the mark of a disciple who doesn't run away from hard things, but who embraces it and prays for the big things of the kingdom. Let me ask these questions for you. And I'll leave these up for a moment. The first one, these are connected to the reasons why we may not be experiencing uh, answers to our prayers. So the first one, am I praying? Simple question, right? Maybe we're out of rhythm. Maybe, we ha- maybe we're realizing in this moment that, that we have this tendency to lean into the omniscience of God and we just trust that he will give me what I need without asking for it. And yet we, we know in this moment that asking is an important part of praying, right? It's an important part of our relationship with Jesus, right? right? Can you imagine just for a second with me that if the disciples were walking with Jesus and they had a question for Jesus, you know, uh, and then all of a sudden they get frustrated that Jesus hasn't done something for them and Jesus is like, you never asked me. Oh, but Jesus, you should know. Ask, seek, and knock. Second one, am I praying with disciple-making motives? Am I seeing prayer through the lens of someone who says, I am a disciple, I am someone who is learning how to ride the bike, and I'm taking this, this mission right into the world, that I'm living on mission. What happens in this room leaves here. What happens here leaves here. So am I viewing prayer with that lens, that I am a disciple who gets to make disciples, who gets to make disciples? And last and third, am I praying with an openness to God's plan? See, sometimes we ask for good things. When Nikki and I ask for kids, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And yet God said, I have another plan. Is there openness in your heart for whatever it is that God would give? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity. Again, we know that worship is bigger than this. And so, like, if there's anything that happened, like, this morning, if there's anything that's been said that, that needs to ring true in our hearts, myself included, uh, Lord, would the Spirit just press in on us? And, and, Lord, would you make us into disciples who make disciples who make disciples? Would, would we be that kind of a follower, right? Like, we're not just the, the people on the crowd uh, or on the mountain that are hearing these things from Jesus and then never put them into practice. And so, Lord, if there's anything that we need to hear, would we hear it? Lord, if there's anything that needs to fall through the cracks this morning, if there's anything that I've said that was just, just, just humanness rolling out of Seth or just, or just wrong or broken, may it just, would it just sift to the bottom. And this morning, would we, would we leave with this, this clearer picture of what it means to engage the kingdom, to engage the world for the sake of those around me with a prayer that asks and seeks and knocks over and over and over. May we be a salt and light to this world. In your name we pray, amen.